God, that's a long intro. I've got to kill that intro. Hey, welcome back to the Renaissance. <laughs> Yo. Apologies for those of you who have been listening from the beginning. As Tony Coniston said, uh, yeah. just skip through to we're episode 25. We're sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, got another review that I'll read at the end of this one who says that we are 30 episodes in of a 9,747 <laughs> episode series. That sounds right, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, episode 34, we're still doing Brunelleschi because there's still good stories. Uh, you know, I didn't expect it to go more than two or three episodes, but yeah. uh, this guy, man, like, I was like, oh, you got to tell that story. Yeah. You got to tell this story. It's just too many good stories. If I can mention real quick before you jump into it. So we mentioned the hoist. We mentioned the, uh, the herringbone pattern. We mentioned... Um, uh, the change that he came up with uh, to solve these problems. There was another problem, but no one could solve it. And that was the pigeons. The pigeons would get in there, mess things up, poop on people. Uh, the 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 architect, the uh, crafters would try to catch, catch them, take them home because it's rare that they got meat. They caused a lot of trouble. But that was the one insurmountable, insurmountable problem of the dome. And everybody just had to... When you look up, just keep your mouth closed just in case there was a pigeon above you. But they made it through. 16 years of dealing with pigeons. Apparently, Brunelleschi invented the cat (laughs) uh, as part of that. The flying cat. Yeah, people don't know that. He invented the cat. Yeah. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode, in 1421, Brunelleschi was awarded the world's first ever patent for inventing something. Mm Mm-hmm. It was for inventing the patent, and then he got the second patent <laughs> for inventing not the hoist, as you might expect, not how to build a dome right. without centering, but for a ship. Huh. But- uh, They already had ships, we'll to, right? Yeah, but not like this ship. <laughs> um, now, the patent, which survives, right. describes Bruno as a man of the most perspicacious- perspic- <laughs> I can't see that in the other way. Perspicacious right. intellect, industry, wow. and invention. Did he write that uh, himself? Yeah, I think he did. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it granted him a monopoly of some machine or kind of ship by means of which he thinks he can easily <laughs> at any time bring in any merchandise and load on the River Arno and on any other river or water for less money than usual. Now, as we've talked about uh, back in these days, uh, guys like Brunelleschi would write their inventions in a secret code or their their learnings or their notebooks in a secret code because they didn't want people stealing them because obviously – as we've seen, there's a lot of competitions for who can yeah. design these things, who's serious clever. Money. Right. Serious money. This is what they live on. They're smarts, and they don't want people ripping them off. Like, uh, I should have done that first Napoleon series in code <laughs> and never let anyone hear it, so all these other motherfuckers like Dan Carlin and Mike Duncan couldn't rip off my idea of long-form podcasts, right. history podcasts. And, live and learn, uh, my friend. Yeah, they make all the money and I get nothing. So I I feel his pain. Um, So you said just something a second ago. So his first patent was about something that he claimed would work? Well, he he thinks he can easily do it. All right. Now, basically, he only had the patent for three years. 
Ah. And if anyone built a ship like his ship in that three-year period, it had to be burnt. Wow. That was the rules of the patent. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, that's how I feel about Dan Carlin and Mike Duncan. <laughs> they should all be burnt. <laughs> Anyone who does long history podcasting that's not without, me, with, without giving including you, 10%, you, by the way, for your World War II that's show, that's why I keep it under set on fire. I, that's why I keep it under twenty four minutes, but I don't have to pay you royalties. <laughs> no, it's the it's the number of episodes that you take oh. in telling the story. Oh, I'm screwed the then. Okay, yeah, 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 should be set on fire. What? Now the ship uh-huh. was called Il Badaloni, the monster, which coincidentally is what Chrissy calls my penis. <laughs> now. According to the terms of the patent, <laughs> it was a revolutionary design. We actually don't know much about it. Um, the design of the boat is a bit of a mystery. Some people think it might have had paddles. He might have invented the paddle steamer. Oh, wow. Without the steam. Fucking bit. A. I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. But it had some problems, and it's the... It's sort of the big embarrassing failure of his uh, oh, career. Do tell. Uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, De Prado again, Joey De Pratt, <laughs> uh, again, said it was doomed to fail. Uh, he wrote a sonnet that he published and posted up everywhere in which he calls Bruno a pit of ignorance, a miserable beast, an imbecile. And promised to commit suicide if Bruno's ship actually worked. Well, he was in his early 60s, so sounds like a better old man. Not that he's taking it personally. (laughs) Uh, But he goes, if this guy succeeds, I will fucking kill myself. I can't can't, take it anymore. I can't live in a world where this cunt invents one more thing that works. (laughs) Now, again, as the patent suggested, Bruno was saying, listen, we're shipping all this marble and sandstone and all this timber into Florence to build these things. It's taking too long. It's costing too much. I'm going to invent a better ship that will get shit here quicker. It's the shit ship. It's the ship you use to get the shit here quicker. That's better than what I came Uh, up with. I thought you were going to call it the love boat, but please continue. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't. Don't make me go back to that. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Time he said, money. look, all this marble right. that we're bringing in from Carrara, right. hundreds and hundreds of tons of, of marble, um, I can get it here cheaper and faster. Unfortunately right. for Bruno, fortunately for Joey de Pratt, because he didn't need to kill himself, Ooh. something went horribly wrong. Oh. Again, we don't know what um, but the, the the maiden voyage to get the first ship, I think it was 100 tons of marble. Oh, God. Something went wrong. The marble never arrived. Uh, and the Opera del Duomo forced Bruno to replace it with his own money. Oh. And then it didn't turn up, and they kept saying, hey, dude, this went on for years. Hey, where's that marble? Yeah, yeah, I'm fucking getting you more marble. Right. Um it ended up costing him a fortune to have to replace all of this marble that had gone missing. And it didn't – it's not like the ship sank right? because – That was my question. There's a record uh, of him using it later on to try and get the replacement marble here. So it must have just broken down or something happened. Ah, uh, the love boat but, didn't deliver uh, its load. 
Got it. He paid for the building of the ship out of his own money, and then he had to pay for the replacement Carrara marble out of his own money. Apparently, nearly bankrupted him. Damn. They had to nearly had to go and break his table. Um, <laughs> so big failure for him, and they ended up the marble. A lot of the marble that they used was uh, repurposed from tombstones. Oh, that's like building yeah. a house on an ancient Indian burial ground. That's bad juju. Yeah, yeah, bad juju. <laughs> well, you know, I guess they were pagan, uh, so it's probably a- pagan tombstones, so it didn't matter. So it's did, okay. Did pagans have tombstones? I guess they did. Something. Yeah. Bill was here. So that was the monster. That was the story of the monster. He's like, yeah, fuck it, I'll invent a ship. <clears throat> T- apparently yeah. a little bit harder than inventing a dome. But one out of five. Hoist. One out yeah. of five. And your first four were fucking amazing world changers, game changers. That's not bad. And he was doing it while he was doing the other things. Like in his spare time, <laughs> when he's building the greatest dome in history. Uh, what do you need? You need one of And those? inventing a hoist that yeah. changed the world. Yeah. And inventing linear perspective. Yeah. Uh, the changed art and the world. He goes, okay, I'm also going to invent a great ship. Don't just, he's like the Elon, he's Elon Musk, this guy. He's like, oh, listen, I've got spare five minutes between 11.55 p.m. and 12 a.m. I better do something productive (laughs) with that. I'll invent a ship. Oh, did you read that he kept, you know, having to write stuff down and and draw sketches for the different craftsmen that he, he wrote so much stuff down that, he ran out of paper. And so they had to literally find, I'm just going to call them books that were deemed not worthy of being kept around. And then he would just write on the pages in the books. Cause he just kept having to write stuff down and explain to these people uh, what he, what he, you know, what he envisioned when the dome was being built. So I certainly hope we didn't lose any of the ancient Roman classics during that process. But I think they tried very hard to make sure that they were getting rid of, romance novels or murder mysteries or or things like that. But he went through a lot of paper during those 16 years trying to explain his vision to various people. Yeah, I don't think uh, they rediscovered the ancient classics yet. And um, I think uh, they had, apart from Boccaccio's Decameron, there weren't any, like, romance stories. Right. Uh, Petrarch and Boccaccio, that was it. Gotcha. But in 1423, a few years after he started work on the dome, mm-hmm. uh, a Sicilian adventurer named Giovanni Orispa Ooh. returned from Constantinople with 238 ancient manuscripts written in Greek. Oh, shit. Obviously, remember we in our Boccaccio episodes, we talked about the fact that no one in Italy could speak Greek or read it, so he brought over this uh, Greek professor and set him up at the University of Florence. So that was only 60, 70 years ago, earlier. Um, And so all of these documents come back. There were six lost plays by Aeschylus. Wow. Aeschylus and Sophocles, Uh as well as work by Plutarch, Lucian, Strabo, and Demosthenes. A treasure trove. Do you remember Demosthenes? I do. I miss him. He had his good point. <laughs> he had his good point. Yeah. My favorite Demosthenes story was when um, like his daughter died and he went partying in the streets anyway. Yeah. Because. What was the justification? Mas- 
Macedonians had been defeated oh, in some battle. He was just in a good mood. He's like, fuck yeah. 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 I'm sad about my daughter, but, but not that sad. The Team Athens. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there was also a complete copy of the works of Proclus of Alexandria. Wow. Uh, in this, who was a geometer, famous geometer. Do you know what a geometer no. is, Ray? He messes with geodes. No, I don't know. What is it? Somebody who does geometry, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Um, <laughs> but he does it well. Yeah, does it well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, this was, I think this guy came after Euclid, but I think he mentioned Euclid is important in them understanding Euclid. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and um, there was also the mathematical collection of Pappus of Alexandria. This had uh, something about like a treatise on ancient lifting devices. Mm. So they were like, oh, well, fucking anyone can build a hoist now. We've got this stuff. This guy worked it out. Yeah. This guy worked it out like, what was it? He died around about 350 CE. Like, you know, you're not that special. Um, His collection of, his mathematics collection covered geometry, recreational mathematics, polygons, polyhedra, the uh, hexagon theorem and projective geometry. That's one of my... Favorite things, a uh, little bit of uh, hexagon theorem. <laughs> I don't know about you. Is it, that's how I. That's how I relax. Yeah, on a weekend. Now, is is all of this just proof for those naysayers that say that? Because uh, c- I've read some things about saying that the West didn't fall behind intellectually or academically to the East during during the Middle Ages. I mean, it just sounds like they were just so far ahead of us, uh, the West. Um, because I wasn't there. What? Say all that again? They say what? No, just, the West didn't fall behind the East? Just Yeah, just that the West uh, didn't fall that far behind, that some people knew it. It was just a smaller percentage of people who had access to these books. But again, this just sounds to me like the East was um, just light years ahead, mathematically, culturally, uh, to the West. So this is 1423 when they bring these in. So, right. you know, these things have been lost for a thousand years in the West and they finally dig it up again. Anyway, uh, the Pappus document um, talked about the compound pulley, the screw, the gear train, oh, wow. the windlass, all these different features of hoists and cranes. And, and this, plus these, the, the rediscovery of these on top of the work that Bruno had done with his hoist really brings about a renaissance, mm-hmm. if you will, in uh, mathematics at right. the time, as well as hoists and gears and inventing stuff to move things, and it, it just explodes. Combination of his work and these documents being found. Yeah, and those documents, of course, even though they've come over and they're very impressive, they do not <clears throat> take away from the accomplishments of Brunelleschi, even though he's a pain in the ass. I wouldn't have wanted to have been his friend, but again, it doesn't detract from the amazing intellectual period that he had in this part of his life. Now, his biographer Manetti also suggests another inspiration for the ox hoist. He claims that mm-hmm. when Bruno was still a young goldsmith, he built a number of mechanical clocks right. 
equipped with various and diverse generations of springs. Ah. So he was already working on something, so the idea of the reversible gear might have already been bouncing around in his head when he was working on the clocks. Now, possibly, but if this is true, it's pretty amazing because spring-loaded clocks weren't around for another hundred years. Fuck. Because they didn't have the metallurgical techniques that were refined enough Mm-hmm. to manufacture resilient wire that could be you know used in these very very tiny springs so there's no evidence for this apart from Manetti mentions it and as we've said before Manetti knew Brunelleschi mm-hmm. and secondly there is a drawing made decades later that looks like a spring bound clock and it's drawn by a guy who was a friend of Brunelleschi's so uh, maybe he invented spring-loaded clocks as well, but then just got busy right. doing other stuff. Others, yeah. I'm an architect. Yeah. Now, something else he invented, which he didn't get a patent for, but he really should have, was gaslighting. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't mean literal gaslighting. <laughs> I mean, gaslighting in terms of psychologically <laughs> destroying somebody and making them think they're crazy. And enjoying it the entire time. This is the famous fat carpenter story. Yeah. Do you want to tell the fat carpenter story? I will give it a go. Again, this is the story about the cunt who played a trick on a fat man. Um, take from that. I don't know. This just The more I read about this and the more he got other people involved. He's like, this guy's a real dick, and he's very sensitive. So anyway, in 1409, Bruno comes back to Florence. As we mentioned, you know, he traveled all over. We don't know exactly what he was doing for those 16, 17 years. But so I guess he expected a certain amount of a reception when he came back to Florence. But there was this one man, uh, Manetto, the fat man he was called, the fat carpenter, who missed the social social engagement. Well, I guess Bruno was upset by this because he decided to play a trick on this man. But this just isn't any trick. This isn't a bucket of water over a door or a flower that squirts water in your face. This He, he, he wanted to break this guy down psychologically. So anyway, so, so Manetto was um, on his way home from work. And uh, Bruno was already inside. I guess he'd be figured out the lock and he picked it and he goes in. And supposedly Bruno was very good with voices. So as the man is trying to enter his own dwelling, Bruno, disguising his voice as the fat man, says, go away. So the guy leaves because he's confused. He's like, well, I could have swore this is my house. Maybe I'm tired or, or it's drunk. I, I don't know. So, so he leaves and he runs into Donatello. And obviously Donatello is in on this. So he calls this guy um, whose name is Manetto. He calls him by a different name, Matteo. And so he's like, well, you know, what are you calling me Matteo for? That's not my name. That's not who I am. But then a bailiff comes along also calling him Matteo, this other name. In fact, this Matteo is wanted for debts, so the bailiff arrests him as this other person, takes him to jail, and even the other prisoners, when he gets there, call him Matteo. So this guy is completely confused. You know, what is happening to me? Is this a dream? Whatever's going on. So he's got to be, he's just very confused at this point. So the next morning in jail, the real brothers of the real Matteo, this other guy, shows up. They not only claim that he is their brother, Matteo, but they pay his debts. 
So they take Mateo home, and he really starts to believe that he's changed into this other person. He is totally confused by this point, and he's got to be—he's got to be having a little bit of a breakdown. So he falls asleep. But he doesn't just fall asleep because he's tired. It's because the Dick Bruno gives him some kind of potion. This guy is going all out. You do not stand Bruno up when he comes back to Florence. Just remember that. So after he's asleep, they take him to his real home, put him upside down in his bed to confuse him even more. The house is in disarray. The guy wakes up. And then Matteo's brothers show up. Um, and they this time they call him by his correct name, Manetto. And they say, you're not going to believe this. This is a crazy story. Our brother, Matteo, says that he had a dream that he had become someone else. And then the real Matteo came and said that he had a dream that he'd become the carpenter, the fat man. So Manetto was convinced, absolutely convinced that he had become this other person. So he is so freaked out by this. I don't know if it's because of this or another reason, but he is going to end up leaving Florence. He goes to Hungary, but because he is a craftsman of some sort, and I I missed that part of the story, he ends up having a very good life. He makes a fortune in Hungary. But again, Bruno got so many people involved on the stunt just because, as far as I can tell, he didn't show up to greet him when he returned back to Florence. Wonderful story, but a complete cunt for doing this. He invented gaslighters, <laughs> drove the guy crazy. He left piss him off. Yes, don't. F- and so when he was able to get back and get Berti, that had to be child's play compared to this story. So don't mess with Bruno. So obviously he's brilliant, but he's also hypersensitive and vindictive. And when you mix that with brilliance, he's going to cause a lot of trouble. So it takes 16 years, but he eventually finishes the dome using the zigzag bricks and the iron chains and all these sorts of things and the hoist. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when the dome is finished, the, the city feels like it's proven itself to be, in, to be as good, if not greater, than ancient Rome, particularly when it comes to architecture and any other city in Italy. Right. It has a new sense of self-esteem. As I said, I think in an earlier episode, people walked out of their house every day. They looked up, yeah, and they saw this thing to right. go. Fuck yes, we're Romans. <laughs> we're not Romans. We're Florentines, man. We, this is a new city. We are right. We are the best. Right. We, we you know, we've made Ooh. Florence great again. <laughs> we are the champions. It's a new city. But, yep. Go ahead. But it's not quite finished. Oh, there's a little bit oh. to go. Okay. It needs a lantern on the top. Sure. Now, a lantern is what they call the the bit that goes on the top of a dome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you would think that after all this time, 16 years, he invented the uh, way to build the dome, he invented the bricks, he invented the chains, he invented the hoist. Right. You would have thought that they would have gone, hey, just just, take the lantern design, Bruno. You got this. (laughs) You got this, son. Right. But they, then they were thinking, oh, the boat. I don't know, yeah, the boat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. Mm. So there's another fucking competition Fuck. to see who's going to design the lantern. <sighs> okay. And all the usuals turn up. Um, <laughs> Gibbo. Gibbo puts his hands up. Now... Speaking of Gibbo, when he finished the first set of doors, he didn't have to sit another competition to get the second set of doors. They just went, oh, do another set of doors, Gibbo. You did a great job, son. Knock it out. Obviously know what you're doing. Yeah. Have another one. Right. But no. Bruno, they go, mm, no, I think 
Yeah, we need another competition. We're going to give you it a miss. You can just imagine right. oh. how fucking pissed right. he must have been. But there's another guy, too, who goes in on the lantern design. His name is Antonio Di Giacchetti. <laughs> Antonio Di Cacieri. Manetti. Oh, fuck. Not to be confused with the Manetti, who was his biographer, right. whose name is also Antonio <laughs> uh, Manetti. Very common name. Right. T- Tony, 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 Tony the main. <laughs> Tony the little main. Manetti. Um, so this Manetti uh, was also, though, a, a friend of Brunelleschi's and a colleague, and now he decides he's going to become a competitor. Oh, shit. Okay. He's worked with Bruno. He's actually helped him on the dome. Now he says, you know what, uh, I think it's time for me to shine. It's time for me to my do time. my own thing. My times. So they all submit their designs for the land. By the way, this thing is fucking huge. It's like 30, foot, 30 feet high. Fuck. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a – it looks tiny when you're on the ground, but it's huge. And if you, when you climb up to it, you're actually standing in it. Right. The di- that's where you're standing when you climb up to the top. Um, so it's massive, right? Right. Um, Bruno again wins the design, except Uh-oh. the uh, committee, the Opera del Duomo, said, "Listen, oh. be cool. <laughs> we know that you've got a temper. Don't make me think of someone we, else. We, we we pick your design, but right, Manetti wants to offer up one more design. He said he had this dream last right. night. He's got a great new idea, and quite frankly, we want to see what he has. He was on the toilet. You've won. <laughs> you've won the competition, right? But eh, just give it a try. we're going to extend yeah. it a little bit for Manetti. Hear him out. By the way, sometime around this period. Um, there is a record in the Florentine archives where Brunelleschi needed to sign a promise that he would no longer lose his temper <laughs> and do mean shit to people. Why am I not that's surprised? How, that's how bad he was. They had to like write legislation <laughs> to get him to promise on pain of a penalty that he would stop being a cunt to people because they're like, really? The anti You're a genius, clause. but yeah. uh, you know, yeah. sometimes really yeah. you go too far. Anti cut clause. So Manetti gets another crack at it, even after the competition's over. And apparently, this design is pretty close to Bruno's own design. Oh fuck! To which, to afterwards, Bruno says to the committee something to the effect of, "Hey, why don't you let him do another one? And that one will probably be exactly <laughs> like mine." <laughs> Every one he does, it gets closer and closer <laughs> to my design. So anyway, he gets the job. Right. But there's a, there's a catch. Oh. Anyway, his design is now on display at the Museum of the uh, Duomo. It was an octagonal lantern with eight radiating buttresses. They were like, yeah, look, we don't like buttresses, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if they're up that high, no one yeah. can really see them, right. so it's okay. They look small. And it has eight... Very, very high arched windows. Construction of the lantern began a few months before Bruno died in 1446. Right. Oh. Didn't get very far. Uh, how old was he at the time in his uh, 60s? 1377 to 14, to 1446. 1446 minus 13, what? 1330, no, 13, shit. It's too, 
1377. 69, your favourite number. <laughs> there you go. He died. <laughs> and you your do- favourite number. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. But, of course, the lantern had only been just been started. Right. Uh, so it stops. What? Why? The, oh, I thought you were going to pick it up. Okay, so <laughs> they... <laughs> so they stop working on it because he's dead. Brunelleschi's dead. Right. And he didn't tell anyone his design, really. There was a little model of it, but he didn't tell anyone what he was going to do, how he was oh. going to do it. And this is, this is 30 feet high, made out of marble. Um, oh, my God. Supported by the sandstone chain up the very top. Um, so <laughs> they basically stop for a while and they try and figure it out. Uh, well, fuck, now what are we going to do? For 15 years. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're, try- they're trying to, like, reverse engineer his design and how they're going to build it, et cetera, et cetera. Dick. They finally, they finally um, get a new design, and uh, guess who, who came up with the new design? Caperti? Manetti. Oh, Manetti. No, Manetti. Manetti oh, is now the new capo maestro. And he gets to come up with the final design, so he gets the last laugh. He had to wait for Bruno to die, hey. but he finally gets it. Safer that way. The, the lantern is finally completed by Brunelleschi's friend Michelozzo in 1461. Mm-hmm. But then they need to put the giant copper ball and cross oh. on the top. When will this thing end? Now, well, I'll tell you because that's in my notes. <laughs> now, the, do you know what's inside the giant copper ball? Uh, I, I just thought it was a bronze sphere. It's copper. Copper. Made of gilded bronze and covered in uh, copper, right? Okay. Actually, right. yeah. Do you know what's inside it? Um, Brunelleschi's heart. No. What, <laughs> what was inside it? Yeah, close. Somebody's heart. Holy relics. Of course. It has holy relics. Of course it does. Now, it was designed by Verrocchio in 1469. Mm -hmm. It has a diameter of 2 metres and 30 centimetres. Damn. And it weighs almost 2,000 kilograms. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was designed, and it has a little flap window, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, so you you can climb up into it, open the window, and that's the the best view of Florence wow. from up there, three hundred and fifty feet N- above street level. Next time, you and me. <laughs> I don't think they let anyone into the. They let us into in. the holy relic ball. They'll, oh, okay. Yeah, we go. Hey, we did fucking five hours on <laughs> Brunelleschi, man. Let us in. Now the. Total height of the dome and lantern and cross is 114-odd metres, 375 feet. Damn. Now, you posted a story on our Facebook uh, page the other day about the time it was struck by lightning. Yeah. Can you tell that story? No, because I can't remember it. Um, I don't want to butcher it. I just know the very basic facts. If you know it, please tell it. If you know it, if you've got it there. Well, it's not that complex, but in 1600, <laughs> right, uh, it was struck by lightning during a thunderstorm and it fell down. Oh, fuck. 
Excuse me. Now, look out below. If you're building something like that up that high, you think you build it to right. be lightning proof. But yeah, it, <clears> it actually <throat> fell down on the piazza down below. And today, when you're in the piazza, you can see uh, a, like a, a marker. There's a circular marker right. on, the, on the piazza of where it hit the ground. I guess for some reason right. they thought that was an important thing to remember. <laughs> they actually built built like this little marble circular marker on the piazza. So then I guess they maybe put it back up. Don't stand there. Yeah. Don't stand there during a thunderstorm. Well, I was going to um, say, don't stand there during storms. Or do stand there because <laughs> lightning strike doesn't strike twice, <laughs> and the ball. That falls down woke strike twice. Everyone in Florence stands. <laughs> a thousand there people tries to get into that one spot during a lightning storm. Mm. I'd pay good money to see that. Now the um, bronze ball uh, was built, as I said, by uh, Verrocchio mm-hmm. in his workshop. Yeah. At the time he was building this, was a young man called Leonardo da Vinci. Huh. Heard of that? Heard of him? He may have actually participated in the design of the bronze ball because Ah. in one of his later notebooks, the G Manuscript of Paris, he writes, remember the way we soldered the ball of Santa Maria del Fiore? Ah, so he had sketches of, I guess, parts of it, of the ball in his book? Or was was it just a notation? Just a notation to remind okay. himself of how they did it for something else that he was going to build. Ah, so, gotcha. The way we soldered the ball. So he right. was involved in building nice. the big brass ball. Um, <laughs> Which is your nickname. On the top of the Duomo. Right. It is, yeah, yeah. along with Il Badaloni. <laughs> um, now, obviously, Bruno's uh, sketches or Bruno's design for his hoist, mm-hmm. obviously – was influential. Leonardo actually made a series of sketches of the hoist. Nice. And is often given credit for their invention, but wasn't invented by him. It was invented by Bruno Lesky. That would have pissed Bruno off if he'd still been alive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the end of Brunelleschi and the Dome. We, we also have to talk about Brunelleschi and uh, linear perspective in another episode, but I think we can wrap it up here. I just yeah. wanted to... Finish with a little bit more about the dome, though, and I know this is a little bit of a shorter episode, but the the facade that you see outside, the white, green, and red marble, so it looks black sometimes, the marble, but it's very dark red. Mm-hmm. Um, that was part of Neri de Fioravante's original design. Mm. Not exactly that pattern, but that would have a facade of red, green, and white marble. Um, but by the way, what else is, uh, red, green, and white, Ray? Is that the colors of their flag? Yeah. The colors of the Italian flag. Although, of course, there was no Italy at the time. Right. Yeah. Still. Um, the tree, the tree color, uh, as it's known, Mm. um, which they got from Napoleon, was adopted in 1946. Mm. Um, the first entity to use the Italian tree color was the Cisalpine Republic in 1797. 
which supplanted Milan after Napoleon's victorious army crossed Italy in 1796. Mm. Um, the colours chosen by the Cisalpine Republic were red and white, which were the colours of the flag of Milan, and green, right. which was the colour of the uniform of the Milanese Civic Guard. Ah. So there you go. But it comes from the Napoleonic era. Um, but anyway, it, this the the facade that you see on the dome of the on the Duomo. So it wasn't added until the nineteenth century. Mm. It's not as old as the rest of it. Now the original facade never really got built. The only pictures of it are a mid fifteenth century drawing. Uh, known as it's in a book known as the Codex Rustici. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, there's another one. Sorry, there's two drawings. That one and there's one by Bernardino Pochetti from 1587, so century or so later. Right. They're both on display at the Museum of the Opera del Duomo, but um, it didn't really get built. It got only the lower portion of it got built, and then it was left unfinished. Hmm. So you could just see the naked brickwork of the Duomo. Wow. For centuries. Then uh, the the lower portion of the original facade was dismantled in 1587 by the Medici's, um, the Grand Duke Francesco the First de Medici said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, it's ugly. Take it, take it down." Huh? Then they they had a competition. Of course, for a new did. facade. Right? Of course, they did. <laughs> um, and it turned into a huge corruption scandal. So they didn't. Build it. Oh. It was left bare until the late nineteenth century. It's a good thing he began work. Work began in eighteen seventy six. Was completed in eighteen eighty seven. Fuck. Uh, so there you go. It's- um, took took them <laughs> for like five hundred years, right, to put the outside of the Duomo on. It's a good thing he they, he built it to. Uh- Last, um, you know, all those bricks. So, so, so good for Bruno. Good for him, even though he was a dick. Well, I'm talking about the the bottom part of the Duomo right. mostly. Oh, gotcha, um, gotcha. De Gambio and Giotto uh, sort of was the first capo maestro of that. So uh, there you go. It took a long time. It was just standing there without any clothing for 500 years. It, and like you said, well, uh, and like you said earlier, you know, this is. This is now the dominant view of the city. It changes the landscape. It changes the silhouette of the city at night. This is a new city, and now, theoretically, there are no limits for this city. They've entered a new age, and they've pretty much put down their flag saying, this is what we're capable of. This is what we can do. Come at us. Yeah, so that's that's Brunelleschi in the Dome, folks. Uh, go see it. Three and a half episodes. Yeah. yeah, go see it. As I've said in previous episodes, it really is one of those things that not only lives up to expectations but will blow your fucking mind, right. particularly now that you know a lot about it. Uh, you know, if, if you go there as a typical tourist, you look up and you go, oh, yeah, that's that thing I've seen in books. Um uh, but now you will know some of the story about how it was designed and built. Let me let me read another review while I'm here. Okay. Uh, this one's from the United States, from Merrick E. 
the kings of history podcasting. He knows how to get my attention. <laughs> the problem with most history podcasts is they are dry and boring. However, thanks to the marketing genius of Barry and Stan <laughs> Inc. or BS Inc. Nice. nice. Clever. Never thought about that no. before, Merrick. That's very clever. Yeah. The Barry and Stan filter. That's what we should call our show. <laughs> Cam and Ray have managed to combine history and humour in a truly entertaining and enlightening hour-long cough podcast. <laughs> this show is not for the faint of heart. They rightly point out that most great things are done so that sex can be had soon after. I guess that's why <laughs> these guys are always going on trips together. It's always fun to listen to people that are having a great time doing something they're passionate about, even if that passion involves a certain lost bet to the band Toto <laughs> and shoehorning Africa into just about every topical crevice imaginable. What happens on the bang boat stays on the bang boat. <laughs> the bang boat. Oh, Merrick. So clever. Be sure to check out their equally enjoyable cast, Life of the Caesars, Alexander Beersfield, etc. as well. Thanks again, guys, for the great efforts. Well, at least thank Cam for his efforts. There is nothing better than Cam's stunned silence when Ray actually does his research. Cheers and keep up the great work. Thank you, Merrick. Send us your address. Oh, he wrote that on my birthday too. Nice. Even nicer. Yeah. Thank you for that review. Send us your email. We'll send you something nice. Um I've got to read another one, too. This is one I hinted at the beginning. This is by Gargle Blaster from Australia. I think Gargle Blaster's written reviews for us before. Um, I like it firm and fruity, Gargle Blaster writes. I think that my favourite part of the multitude of podcasts that this dynamic duo put out is when Cam is off on a long monologue into a topic. Ray cuts in with a short quip, and Cam is silent for a moment as he tries to suppress a laugh, and then we get a minimum of five minutes of off-topic ribaldry. This is a tiny morsel of what you may get from these podcasts. There is much that I could write about what you can learn, laugh, and disagree with on their shows, but I advise you that you dive in for yourself and find out. The Renaissance Times podcast is, in particular is fascinating as it stretches the hosts and listeners a fair way beyond what they have been, but where they've been before. This is a journey from the end of antiquity through the Dark Ages and on towards the Enlightenment. As I write this review, we are 30 episodes in of a 9,747-episode <laughs> series, and we have already had two references to Lord Flashheart. <laughs> Onwards and upwards, boys. <laughs> well done. Indeed, indeed we <laughs> have. Um, yeah. So thank you, uh, Gargle Blaster. Send us your email again, and we'll send you another thank you message. That is – oh, no, before we go, um, um, got to read our latest uh, – Read, uh, read out a list of our latest oh, subscribers, too. I, I can't forget to thank them. Uh, let me see where I left off last time. Okay. Most recent subscribers, uh, Chris Newmeyer, Matthew Ward, Norm Tink, Robert Webb, Jim Roffin, Alex Byer, Samuel Goff, Stephen Ray, Luke Harris, Robert Filado, Steve Gazda, Brian Carroll, William Eldridge, Big hey, Billy. Biggie. Haven't I read him out before? It might have been another show. Yeah, I think um, it was. Gregory Henschel, Matthew Benny, Paul Grand Juan, Abby Georgeson, Narindajit Singh, sure. Benjamin Carter, John Volpers, Kyle Fernie, Lars Haragard, Matthew Menju, Big Maddie. Got to, got, to, got to tell you a funny story about Maddie. Um, uh, I got an email from Matt the other day about something. Can't remember what it was. And I said, uh, are you the Matt uh, that had dinner with us in LA in January? And he goes, yeah, that was me. And I said, uh, I sent him an email about going, all oh, right, you're still dating that cute girl. 
uh, or hot girl. Yeah. <laughs> and he sent me back an email going, uh, fuck you. He said, like I said to my girlfriend, he goes, yes, I am. And fuck you. He said, I said to my girlfriend, wow, Cam remembers me. And she said, he, he probably probably remembers me, yeah. actually. And then I sent the second email going, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, yeah. I did. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. So, well, Matt, you know. Hey, get on you. You know, that's, yeah, yeah, that's well done. Tyrone Cleary, Ty and I are working on a project together, um, which is not podcast related, but uh, it's pretty cool. Ty's a, Ty's a designer. Mm-hmm. He's designed some very cool pendant lighting made out of sound absorbent polyester that uh, we're doing some marketing on together. It's going to be cool. Um, hi, Ty. Manny Orgello and Russell Sanford, they're our latest subscribers Thank to the you. series. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, unlike Tony Kynaston, <laughs> who only enjoyed it from episode 25. Um, <laughs> we should just delete the first 24 uh, episodes for Tony's sake. <laughs> Fuck Tony. <laughs> They're important episodes. They They're are. great episodes. They are. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll be back next time with something else. I don't know what, but something else. Full retard. You went full retard, man. Never go full retard.